0: Let me invite you to open your copies of that which is um, inspired, inerrant, infallible, the very mind of God as black words on a white page. Joshua chapter 5. Here goes. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Harloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, for they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Hey guys, um, one of the reasons that Adolf Hitler was so despised, apart from the fact that he was incarnate evil itself, but but despised by his own army, and in many instances, his many of his generals, and you you well know, or perhaps know, that there were several attempts on Hitler's life. Um, the most famous of which is the one that was uh, immortalized in the movie Valkyrie. But um, one of the reasons that he was so hated was because he refused to conduct war uh, on the basis of uh, generally accepted principles for war, rules of war. In fact, you know, like you find in the, the Geneva Convention. In fact, Hitler called the Geneva Convention, and I'm quoting, he said, it was a notion of chivalry of a bygone era. He, um, he dismissed the whole Geneva Convention Saying it was a, it was chivalry that's associated with the bygone era, and I'll have nothing to do with it. And so he conducted war uh, based on no rules, no rules but his own. In fact, one one example uh, you may remember if you know anything about World War One or World War Two, it was on June the 21st of 1941 that he opened a second front to the war. It was called uh, Operation Barbarossa. And he sent his troops to the east, to, uh, to, to Russia. It really was ultimately his downfall by opening a two-front war. Um, but two weeks before he sent his troops into, uh, into Russia, he issued what has come to be known as the, it's infamous now, the, the famous or the infamous Commissar's Order. You ever heard of that? The Commissar's Order, and it was this. That all captured Russian troops were to be shot, which was um which was in defiance of all accepted rules of warfare that had gone back that, that went back for centuries. And and he made no bones about the um the his disdain for any kind of civility or Rules in warfare. Did you know, guys, that that the Bible contains rules for warfare? Did you know that? Did you know that there's even rules of warfare in this book? Deuteronomy 20. uh, For instance, um, if Israel was sieging a city, she was not to chop down fruit-bearing trees to build siege works. Did you know that? I mean, you... If you're going to build a siege work, you can can use an oak tree, but you can't use a pecan tree. You can't use an olive tree. That was a rule of war. There's another uh, in that same chapter that um, every city that was sieged, or that was about to be, was offered terms of peace. If they rejected those terms of peace, then Israel was told to attack. But not before. She was to extend Terms of peace before she ever launched an attack on one of her enemies. A rule of war. Now, guys, I I, I tell you all that to say this. This chapter, chapter 5 of the book of Joshua, what it does is give us some rules. Actually, maybe not rules, but but pieces of instruction. And, And maybe not even pieces of instruction. Maybe it's just counsel. And it has to do with how we're going to conduct warfare, but but not not just warfare. Spiritual warfare. You know th- that that whole idea of spiritual warfare may may be foreign to many of you. I, I hope not, because um, most of us would tell you that um, that when you become a Christian, you are handed. A ready-made set of new enemies. You know, one of my um, one of my uh, Puritan heroes, he said this. It was J.C. Ryle, and he said, The enemies cannot defeat us, but they can vex us on the way. <laughs> Boy, can they. <laughs> they can vex us on the way. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, I don't even know what the word vex means. But it sounds bad, doesn't it? You know I, they can't they can't really defeat me, but they can vex me. Are you are you vexed? There's a whole lot of vexing going on, don't you think? I mean, if you're in the same life that I am, there's just a whole lot of vexing. This story in Joshua chapter five. I think the mind of the Holy Spirit is that it is to help us. It is to give us some counsel, some instructions as to how we might better conduct the life that we now have as um, as Christians. So that's what this chapter is about, I think. And that's certainly what the way I'm going to handle it this morning. Um, but guys, before we jump into it, let, let, me, let me do this first. Let's set the scene because it'll, it'll surely help us as we, as we unfold the, the chapter. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're just jumping right into the book of Joshua, this might seem really odd. Well, it's odd anyway, but, but let me just tell you first. First of all, chapter 1, Joshua 1 has to do with the changing of the guard. Moses dies. Joshua is his replacement. Joshua chapter 2 is about the sending out of the spies. They go into the city of Jericho and Rahab houses them. You remember that? That's Joshua chapter 2. Then in Joshua chapter 3, they cross the, um, the Jordan River that's at flood stage. The, the Jordan River separates the wilderness from the promised land. And in chapter 3, they cross that. Then in chapter 4, they... Um, they build those memorials, you know, right after they've gotten out of the water or the, the, the riverbed. They're told to build these memorials. That's in chapter 4. And then in chapter 6, skip a chapter, the one where... Chapter 6 is the Battle of Jericho. Now, lodged in between the crossing of the river Jericho and... And the building of the memorials and the actual battle of Jericho is chapter five. It's um, it's an odd little insertion into the the, the flow of the story. Okay, they crossed the Jordan and now they built their dinner and there's Jericho. So let's get on with it. What what is this chapter five about? You know, ladies and gentlemen, if you're one of those people um, that is trying to read your Bible through this year, and you're a serious student of the Scriptures, and you, you start reading, you know, back here in chapter 2, okay, they sent the spies into Jericho, and yada, 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 and oh, okay, just crossed the river, and there's Jericho, and, and then they built the, the memorial. Okay, let's have the, let's have the fight. But the narrator of this story doesn't do it like that. He inserts chapter 5. And it's, and in some ways, it's downright comical. And let me tell you what I mean. Tell me this. What military leader do you know of that would incapacitate his entire army right before the battle started by circumcising them? He turns them into sitting ducks. Right in the face of a, of a city that is well armed and hostile and battle ready. He circumcises his entire army, and they're laid up for four days. I mean, that's almost comical. You know, what is happening in chapter 5? Well, that's what I want to try to explain. Um, It's almost as if in chapter 5, somebody pushes the pause button and says, Okay, hold on now, fellas. There's some things that you've got to know. Before you ever get into the battle, there's some things that you need to know. And we're going to look at those. Some things that I think God would have us know. You know, guys, there's a certain way that God would have his people wage war. And there's a certain way that he would have us wage it as well. My first observation from the text is simply this, guys. I mean, this is kind of a, it's kind of based on the overall impression of the chapter, but the first thing that you need to know is that when you became a Christian, becoming a Christian didn't simplify your life. Just the opposite. Becoming a Christian made your life far more complex. Because now I'm swimming upstream. As a non-Christian, I became a Christian when I was 22 years old, ladies and gentlemen. For the first 22 years of my, my life, I swimmed, swam, <laughs> swim, swam, 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 swam. I swummed downstream. But when I became a Christian, that direction reversed. My life didn't become less complex. It became more. L- let me just, I don't know, illustrate the point. I, I just finished a book um on the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and um, it's a it's a it's a big one. It's uh, 550 pages, but it's well worth your time if you're interested. But um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know that name, uh, he wrote this this Christian classic called The Cost of Discipleship. If you haven't read that, you might want to get that too. It's just 100 pages or so. It's hard reading, but it's uh, it's um, it's a classic. But Christ- Dietrich Bonhoeffer really became famous. Um, because of his leadership of the confessing church in Germany before the war. You ever heard of this? You know, when Hitler took over, Hitler took over uh, the church, he wanted to destroy Christianity, and so he he took over the church and turned it into what was called the Reich's Church. You know, the Third Reich, well, the Reich's Church. And it was awful. I mean, you didn't read, I mean, it was awful. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer led a whole group of pastors out of it. And they became known as the Confessing Church in Germany. Of course, the other thing you might want to know is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung by Hitler two weeks before the Allies liberated where he was. It breaks your heart when you get there. I mean, I knew that the whole book, but I mean, you get there two more weeks. But anyway, before the war, he started two small seminaries. Actually, it was really one seminary, and they just changed locations. And the seminaries that he started produced about 65 ordnans. You know what an ordnant is? (laughs) An ordnant is just an ordained pastor. His little seminaries produced about 65 ordnans, most of whom died on the eastern front fighting the Russians. But but I, I tell you all that to say this. Guys... Can you imagine how much more complex it is to fight in a war if you're a Christian? As opposed to being not a Christian? I mean, take that commissar's order, for example, where I'm supposed to shoot helpless, defenseless, captured troops. Even non-Christian Germans hated that thing, except the SS. They didn't hate it. But, But as a Christian... I've got all this stuff that's going through my head like mercy or justice or be kind to your enemies while I'm trying to pull a trigger. Gang, living as a Christian is made more complex, not less. You need to understand that. Again, Christianity promises you forgiveness. It promises you peace. It promises you eternal life. But it doesn't promise you an escape. Quite the contrary. From the moment I step into the promised land, life confronts me with Jerichos that I had never known before. And I want to tell you, I think that's what Joshua 5 is about. Okay? (laughs) So you fellas are, you know, over the Jordan, you're in the promised land, and there's right over the hill is a big old ugly problem. Jericho. You've got this big old ugly complication now that you're in the promised land. You know, guys, do you, I mean, forget soldiering. It's just complex to be a Christian. Let's say you're a salesman. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's more complex, isn't it? To sell and be, you know, because I've got all these things running through my head about honesty and integrity and, 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 and equity and all these things. Uh, you know, when I was swimming downstream, I didn't have those things. But once I stepped into the promised land, once I became a Christian, things got complex. I didn't say they got bad. (laughs) I just said they got complex. You know, guys, just, just to defend how I'm handling Joshua 5, if Joshua 5 were intended to have us consider... Um, how strategies for fighting Jericho, then it would talk about stuff like how many battering rams are we going to need or do we have an adequate supply of arrows or which gate are we going to attack? But there's none of that in here. The battle is in chapter 6. What is this thing doing here? And, And remarkably, what is all this business about circumcision and then the Passover and then that little thing at the end? What's that about? Here's what's about, here's what I think it's about, ladies and gentlemen. It's like, it's as if, it's as if God said, come here, come here. Now that you're mine, there's some things you need to know. First of all, your life is made more complex now that you're mine. But there's some things that you need to know before you head up and take on that big old ugly thing up there called Jericho. There's some things that you need to get straight. It's counsel, ladies and gentlemen. It's instructions. It's instructions as to how you and I are to how to proceed now that we're Christians. And there are three things in this text that are just, it's really rather uncanny. First of all, Circumcision. Well, what the devil is that about? Now, before y'all get to the end of the battle up here with uh, Jericho, uh, you know, I want you to uh, kind of circumcise the bit. Gang, did you notice that that uh, nobody had been circumcised for 40 years? Did you notice that in the text? You know what that's all about? Do you remember when they came out of Egypt? Um, it says, the text says that they were all they were all circumcised, the ones that came out of Egypt. But then in Numbers chapter 14, they come to this place where God says, okay, it's time to go into the promised land. And, and so Moses sends out the 12 spies. You remember that? He sends out the 12 spies and they go back and they say, oh yeah, that's a, that's one whale of a land that he's given us, but we can never take it. I mean, because there's the sons of Anak over there. And they, you know, and they bring back those big old grapes and all that business. You remember that? And, uh, and Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said, oh no, because God's in this, we can do it. The other ten spies says, "Uh uh-uh, don't go over there. They're going to slaughter you. And God was so put off with the unbelief on the part of these people that he says this in Numbers 14. But truly as I live... And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to this test ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall ever see it. All those people that came out of Egypt died out there on the other side of the Jordan because of their unbelief. But they were circumcised. Hey guys, you know what circumcision is, don't you? It's the mark of the covenant. It's the sign that you belong to God, you know? That's what it was intended to be. There's a real warning in that, ladies and gentlemen, a huge warning in that. Let me put it in New Testament terms. So you're baptized, are you? Means nothing. It means nothing. Now, I don't really mean nothing. But it, it it doesn't mean anything that if you've only got the mark of the covenant, that if you don't have the heart of the covenant means nothing just because you're bad... I mean there's a whole generation of people who had the mark of the covenant and all of them perished in God's judgment because of their unbelief um but guys do you know do you know what circumcision you know what it is I hope don't make me define that um but do you know what it symbolized? It's in the text. It's really in Joshua 5. But it's elsewhere. It's elsewhere. You, know what, you know what circumcision symbolized? It says, uh, it's, in, um, uh, it's in verse uh, 9. Uh, I, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Circumcision symbolized the rolling away of defilement. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's the point. Understand that God has taken us aside, punched the pause button, and he says, now listen up. There's some counsel you need before you get into this thing. And I want you to understand all over again the whole idea about circumcision. I want you to understand the enemy that sin poses for you. forget Jericho you know what your real enemy is? sin that's your enemy you know guys um, I, I think I've said some of this but I, I don't think I've said this from this pulpit I, I know I've said it in some smaller groups But you know, I, I read a book over the holidays uh, actually before the holidays um, by Philip Yancey and it's not that good of a book I mean I wouldn't even recommend you go buy but you can there is one chapter in there that is really pretty good. And that's, that's not pretty good. It's real good. But let me tell you, all I want to tell you is the name of the chapter. The name of the chapter is this. Why I wish I were an alcoholic. Philippians the name that means something to a lot of us. He wrote books about the grace and, you know, um, Philippians writes a chapter entitled, Why I Wish I Were an Alcoholic. And you know what his point is? His point is that alcoholics understand that their ones drink away from disaster. And so they they live with this sensitivity against alcohol. Because they know. slip up and they're willing. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know that about sin? One slip up and it will alter your life for a long time. I'm not saying you get booted out of the kingdom. I'm simply saying sin it's sin that is our enemy. God says, hey, you, you, you just, you know, the one that just stepped inside the kingdom here. Come over here for a second, sonny boy. I got some, I got some instructions. I've got some counsel for you. And here's my first piece of counsel. Avoid sin. Cause it'll ruin you. It's your enemy. Obedience is your friend. That sin will have, will ruin you, and so he takes them through this sacrament all over again, reminding them of the rolling away of defilement. Now, we're, don't forget that, because as you enter this battle, the battle, the nature of the battle is this: you're fighting sin. You wage war on sin for a lifetime. And the battle will be won not because you're clenching your fist and grinding your teeth and it's going to be won in the might and the power of the Holy Spirit of God and ultimately when you're in the midst of that fight you'll know you're on the right path if it leads you to the cross so ladies and gentlemen here's the first piece of it actually it's the second piece first, the first piece is understand that your life got more complicated when you became a Christian second of all Sins the enemy. And, and and may I add instruct this beware of letting the symbol replace the reality. You know, guys, in the New Testament, what replaced circumcision was baptism. And baptism is a purification rite it's a it's a reference to the defilement that sin can bring so beware lest all you have all you have is the um the symbol but not the reality gang the first piece of instruction for us is that there ought to be in all of us a huge 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 sensitivity to sin. I mean, do we sin? Darn tootin' we do. But that's the battle. We're trying to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to reduce that. I want to say eliminate it, but it's never going to be eliminated fully this side of heaven. But that's the goal. i fight sin i am um, i'm reminded that the real battle is not jericho it's sin the other thing the second thing that's in here is the passover <laughs> you know as if circumcision weren't enough they spend a week in a passover ceremony and, and do you remember what Passover... I mean, what's that about? I mean, um, do you remember Passover? Exodus 12? Passover was the... the it was the event, you remember? It was um, It was the night before they left Egypt. And so they were all to get together in their houses and they were supposed to kill a lamb and then take that blood from that lamb and paint it on their doorposts. And then the death angel would come, but when he saw that blood of that lamb on that doorpost, he would pass over. So guys, the second piece of instruction has to do with the fact that we were delivered by the shed blood of a lamb. They're being reminded that they were delivered by the shed blood of a lamb. So this second piece of instruction or counsel has to do with this, ladies and gentlemen. That for us, his people, he intends that Calvary should never be very far from our thoughts. You know, guys, the fact that you've been delivered by the righteousness of another should never be far from your from your soul. Notice also the 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 sequence: it's circumcision and then Passover. That is, before you lay hold of a of, of the blood of a shed lamb. Before you do that, you've got to deal with sin. But here's the instructions, guys. In terms of once I step into this new, more complex life as a Christian, I am to have a sensitivity towards sin and an intimacy with Christ. I am to be often reminded that the thing that delivered me was Him. His life, his death, the one that I couldn't live and the death that I should have died. That. That is to never be very far from the thoughts of a believer. I've got to go. I mean, I've got one more. There's a third thing here, ladies and gentlemen, that in a lot of ways is... um, Maybe, I, I shouldn't say this. Actually, I don't even... In a lot of ways it's the most important of all. But the the meeting, I mean the, the circumcision and the Passover have to do with all of Israel. This has to do, it's it's like the focus now comes down to an individual, to Joshua. After the Passover, Joshua, you know, was up by Jericho and he was serving things, and this guy shows up. This guy shows up with a drawn sword. And he and he calls himself the commander of the Lord's army, commander of the army of the Lord. And and I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that this is a theophany. And the reason that I say that is because of the last statement about, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. That's the same thing that was said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. If you don't know what a theophany is, a theophany has to do with with an an appearance of God. God shows up to have a little chat with Joshua. And and the, the point of the chat is something like this. Listen the battle with jericho can wait B- before before you ever you know defeat jericho there's something else that needs to be done before jericho is is ever um uh conquered you got to be conquered joshua before you go take on the jericho oites You gotta be conquered. This isn't a meeting, ladies and gentlemen, to plan strategy. It's a meeting designed to bring about a reverent submission. Joshua has to surrender his command. He has to pass the reins of authority back to the one to whom it belongs. His military skill and all of his abilities is not going to help him. What's going to help him is his submission to this God. In a lot of ways, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing harder to accomplish than that. At least for a group like this, nothing's harder. Submission, surrender, those are terms that don't come to us easily. Let let me just use the elders of this church as an example. They don't mind, I don't think. (laughs) I'll hear about it if they do. But you take our elders, 12 of them, you elected them. You elected them to lead this church, and you elected them to lead this church because you saw leadership skills in them, didn't you? And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that they and we will lead badly if this goes unobserved. There's nothing uglier. The book of Proverbs says it. There's nothing uglier than somebody who's full of himself. There's nothing uglier than someone who is confident in his own strengths or abilities. So when Joshua is about to lead God's people into battle, the first thing he's got to settle is that I ain't the boss. You know, uh, Moses is dead, Joshua's now the leader. No, he isn't. The real leader didn't change when Moses died. The Lord of Hosts has an army, but it isn't Israel. every man or woman that attempts any kind of leadership is going to have to have this meeting before they take a step. Joshua was going to be the leader in public only because he had surrendered himself in private. He has surrendered to the real leader. And that's the key, ladies and gentlemen. And it's 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 perhaps the only qualification for spiritual leadership. Is that if you're going to do that in public, you're going to have to take care of some things in private. Where you make sure you understand in whose hands the reins are found. So now they're ready to fight. And here's the instructions, ladies and gentlemen. Sensitivity to sin, an intimacy with the Savior, and yieldedness. That's the strategy. I don't know of another one. Our Father, would you remind us that because we belong to you, that there are things that are healthy for our souls and things that are not healthy. One of the healthier things is a real sensitivity to sin. And it It becomes healthier when there's an intimacy with the Savior. And it's all crowned with this determination to yield, to surrender to the one who is the real leader. So, lead on, O King Eternal. We're a bunch of people... With all of our flaws and all of our scars and all of our baggage. We want to follow the real King. Lord Jesus. Our Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet embraced that Savior. Would you cause them to see the stream that they're in as one that's flowing downhill. The end of which is disaster. Eternal disaster. Point them in the direction of the beauty of the Savior that we have found. And we ask, of course, in his name.